Okay. I we'll, saw we'll it, figure it, it out. It's gonna be, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be fine. It's gonna be great. Um, so what were we talking about that we needed to react to live on air? Oh, Brett, Brian's oh, got a yeah. new microphone. Yeah, I got a fancy new microphone. Oh, lame. I mean, cool, awesome. <laughs> uh, Alex already knows this, uh, but I got invited to co-host uh, another podcast. Uh, it's like the intersection of like politics and like an intrusive evangelical influence. And uh, they weren't really excited about my podcasting setup. Like Ben is a professional podcaster. These people are professional podcasters. So they, they sent me a care package. Yeah. I was ready to be like upset and shocked. I, I wanted Alex and I to be like, what? You're joining another podcast? Like <laughs> oh, this is betrayal. Nah, I already went through that. <laughs> <laughs> it's called a uh, gospel of serpents. So far, it's been a real, uh, real dark journey. Just learning about all the horrible things that happen in politics. Ignorance is bliss, you know? Sure. That's why I try not to comment anything on this show. Just keep everyone ignorant. All right, we got to edit that shit out. That's not funny at all. <laughs> it was a little funny in my head, but fuck you guys. <laughs> oh. That's, we're just going to start with that. We'll just be like, fuck you guys. Okay, great. There you go. <laughs> uh. So welcome everyone to Pem Pem Pals, episode 16 of Darling in the Franks. I'm Alex. I am Brian. Hey, and I'm Ben. And this week we have a returning guest from season one, my friend, your friend, Damien. Hi, I'm Damien. <laughs> What's been going on with you, Damien? Anything new in your life? Have you watched any good anime? Like, So I'm re-watching Eden of the East with my partner. Oh, right on. I don't know if you all have seen it, but it's a really short watch. Um, I have a lot of difficulty watching long series. Like the longest series I've ever actually finished was 39 episodes. I know this <laughs> is horrible, but uh, I'm right there with you. Yeah, it's really great. I, I feel like if I describe to you what it is about, not only will it not make any sense, but it's going to spoil it. Just <laughs> it's only 11 episodes, I think. So like you could binge that in like one day. Is it is it streaming on something? Well, some people can binge it in one day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, it's on Hulu. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen the first. Whether or not you have children. Yeah, I've and, seen the first okay. episode like five times, <laughs> and that's it. Just no, nothing beyond there. Uh, I mean, I feel like one of the things that's great about it is the first episode kind of has like this hook. Mm. It's mostly just what the fuck, mm -hmm. like what is happening, and you have to keep watching because it's like, what did I just watch? Because right. it's a it's like a realistic series in the sense of like, it's set in a real place. It starts off literally in Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. And yet it's like just bizarro happenings. So I think that that kind of like juxtaposition of this is a real place that takes place in a real like modern time, like in, I think it was like 2011 or something, but like weird shit is happening. Now, now I'm really curious just to see the yeah. representation of Washington, D.C. Like, I'm always yeah. curious to see the way, like, American and Western stuff gets gets represented in anime. So I think my favorite part is that they literally, like, zoom in on, like, a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> the exotic wildlife. There's some memory things going on, and there's some government conspiracy things going on. Well, sort of government, but, but shady, weird, behind-the-scenes conspiracy things right. going on. And you're just kind of thrown into the thick of it. Cool. Sounds right up our alley. Yeah. Um, also playing Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. You'll have to let me know what you think. I was thinking about Final Fantasy VII the other day. I don't think I mentioned this on this podcast. I'm trying to remember who I was talking to. But uh, so, so the beginning of Final Fantasy VII, you're like eco-terrorists. Mm -hmm. The leader of the group is black. Like early on, uh, like Tifa gets like uh, sex trafficked and you have to like cross-dress to like save her. There's a lot of like stuff going on. <laughs> It's awesome. Yeah. It's like a surprisingly yeah. like ahead of its time thing and in, in these weird ways, I think. Oh yeah. You know, I since I've already played the game, you know, I wasn't worried about like spoilers going into it. And I really <laughs> do like that a lot of what they did that was the update of that portion of the game, especially like the wall market portion where it's like there's 
weird sex stuff going on and <laughs> cross-dressing, which may or may not be like making fun of people who mm-hmm. cross-dress or it question mark. I don't know. Um, it's actually really good and, and really cute. So. Awesome. And, it, and and there's that whole like wall market thing too, right? Of like <laughs> the like big business coming in and disrupting stuff and kind of like the the slums and the places. I don't know. I mean, I guess a lot of stuff touches on those themes, but I think it holds up surprisingly well. They're a little bit more explicit in the remake that wall market is walled off, that it's like mm-hmm. a section of the city that, that Shinra cannot really control. And it's mm. just walled off and they're like, we give up. <laughs> Bye y'all. <laughs> and I actually love that. All right. So if you've never played any Final Fantasy games and you're only going to play one, would this be it? Oh, God. I would say yes. Alex is strongly saying no. If you're going to play one, you can play the PlayStation 1 Final Fantasy 7. That's cool. Yeah. I wouldn't play this remake if it's the only one. You're not even guaranteed <laughs> that the rest of it will come out. Like, you know that it's only a third of the game, right? What? Not even. What? It's like the first seven hours. What? I'm sorry. This game's been out for a while. You get out of Midgard and the game ends. Uh-huh. You're like, well, continued whenever we get the next part out. How much did this cost? A third of a game price? No. Um, actually, that's $60, oh, $70. All right. Alex hates everything that's popular. If there's one thing. <laughs> this is a well-known fact. Yep. Oh, God. If I had to, like, actually argue which one you should play. Yeah. I would, honestly, I would probably say the original on the PlayStation, which of course nobody's going to do that because I'm probably the only human left that still has that and still has their PlayStation working from 1997. I have access. <laughs> I feel like most people are going to emulate it. Okay. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, definitely emulate it. Definitely steal that shit. Um, <laughs> but also you can buy it for pretty cheap, like on the Switch. Um, and I definitely do recommend it. I think that the biggest barrier is that, you know, people who play games now, like AAA games now, are not used to 1997 polygon graphics. Mm. And the biggest thing is I don't think that they are really able to appreciate if you played, you know, 32-bit games and you played Final Fantasy 3, which is 6, you know, on the Super Nintendo, it's like moving from that into 3D and how wild a jump that was and just coming into the game and having it be like, here's a pre-rendered background and an FMB is just gonna zoom right in on that. And there's two characters there. And it's like, when I saw that the first time, the way that that <laughs> impressed me as like a 12, 13 year old, I just don't think that that can hit the same way for people now. So I think right, the age, right, right. Right. but yeah. that would be the one for okay. me because even if it's not my favorite one, I think it's the most iconic. And I think that if someone who wants to get the experience, they should play that one. Do you have a favorite one, Ben? Well, I mean, seven for me, but I think that's the only one I played all the way through uh-huh. other than Mystic Quest. But yeah, I was curious what your uh, what your hipster wreck is, Alex. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, seven's probably the most accessible one and the one you're going to have the most like content and fun with. But four is my favorite. That's what I would ac- recommend oh. everyone play. Interesting. Yeah, that's the first one on the Super Nintendo. It has the most remakes of it, so it's really easy to find it for like any system you have. Easy to emulate the original. I think it's got a really good story. The system is okay, and you can see like uh, if you were to like take a look at the original and then take a look at that one and then take a look at seven, you like see the evolution of the battle system and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. Even if you're not playing it to enjoy it, if you're just playing to like learn about gameplay theory, like you can see something evolve, which is really fascinating. All right, interesting. I feel like you're the only person I know who would list four as their first choice, and I think that's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a weirdo. Wow. And then, um, did any was there any anime news or anything brian uh more people died but i bummed everybody out last time i talked about that so let's just let's just keep going you can bum us out next week we'll have a double uh obituary double bummer of pen pen pals okay great i I, I like that having an update that's just more people died and then we just (laughs) 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 accurate though at any time you say it right Last time on Shadow of the Klaxolossus, Zero Two went through an entire company of svelte young stamens, and who could blame her? Relationships dashed, 
pressure from the patriarchy and her horns more tree-like than ever. While the nine showboated their way to the walls of the Grand Crevasse, Squad 13 launched with neither Hero nor Darling. An extra super ginormous Klaxosaur destroyed Plantation 26 and its resident protectors committed battlefield suicide in order to stop the Star Wars Sandcrawler in its tracks. Instead of Jawas and droids, the Klaxo Crawler vomited a waterfall of roly-polies into Plantation 13. Zero Two tried to stampede up the waterfall and play the proverbial carp, but couldn't transform into a Gyarados until Ichigo delivered Hero right into the lion's mouth. After some radical acceptance, Arjan was stitched back together and a newly painted Streletzia orgasmosploded the whole Klaxosaur defense force. But the victory was short-lived as a Deus Ex Manus destroyed all the advanced Frank's forces but Mistletape. Has our team earned a break? Will the Nines come hang out? Wouldn't it be nice if the squad could govern themselves? Let's find out. <laughs> nice. Three, two, one, play. This is a beast princess's love story. One day she met a human prince and wished to become one with him. I want to live as a human. I want to be united with him. The witch replied like so. I can help you if you offer me your wings. But keep this in mind, no matter how you disguise yourself, you are a beast, and you will consume the prince's life one day. The princess ripped off her wings, and was assaulted by pain far more intense than she had ever felt. She could never fly again. Even so, she smiled happily, with tears of joy streaming down her face. I'm human. I'm human. I'm the same as him now. <laughs> oh, is this a new closing sequence too? Mm-hmm. It's similar to the first one, but uh, with new scenes like that one with uh, Ikuno and Ichigo right on each other is uh, new. So my theory has always been that those like real world sequences are like, this is who they could have been without this authoritarian influence. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen all of this anime. Did I not mention that part? Okay, neither has Ben. Yeah, so we'll we'll do it um, spoiler free and then... Alex and uh, Brian can go off into their secret clubhouse and cave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> their lair. <laughs> okay, cool. Then let's talk about this shit. When I first saw this episode, I thought it was kind of boring, uh, but I really got a lot out of it this time around. Mm. I think there's an overall theme of like finding purpose and identity for yourself versus what's given to you or assigned to you. Mm -hmm. uh, it comes up several times throughout this episode yeah and there's this theme of like ritualization you know this is time to just like the beach episode it was kind of after a uh, a victory right and we get another they're like okay we did this grand crevasse thing which we don't really care about much because that's kind of in the background that's like the ape plans but we got zero two and hero back together that's pretty happy most people you know you might like another pair or something, but like, that's pretty happy, at least in terms of the storyline. So we had a, a previous guest that speculated in our spoiler section, our reading of the beast and the prince, uh, the children's book story. Mm -hmm. Most audiences will just assume that hero is the prince and zero two is the beast, but that's just cause we're going along with these like gender role assignments. But he said, if you look at the actual beats, it's flipped. Hero is the first one to see zero two mm. I, i'm not going to do it justice but uh, the beats of the story sort of follow that initial hero seeing zero two and going through great lengths to make the connection happen and then maybe it's an extrapolation but like something happens to zero i mean uh, to hero uh he used to be like the high performing parasite and then goes from that to almost washing out and the, that was this comparison to the beast losing its wings yeah like, and uh when when they made that comment that's when i was like oh okay i see it maybe maybe this is the old switcheroo i think that like the the um idea that 
what actually happened doesn't follow the book. I, the thing that I like about that is because it's kind of like, we keep seeing this thing over and over again. And we keep seeing imagery like that over and over again, that makes it seem like things have like this inevitable path, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like, maybe it doesn't, maybe this isn't set in stone, you know, maybe this could go a different way. Yeah. So mm-hmm. which story are we telling? Sure. <laughs> So there's so that there's hero narrating over this uh, kind of there's like footage of destruction and there's he's narrating this the beast and the prince story, but there's a couple of shots I really like. There's one of uh, cranes, which like cranes give me this reconstruction vibe. So even though I think the cranes are like at the grand crevasse, they're actually not part of they're not like at mistletane mm-hmm. helping. This is like something that ape and the papa is doing. But like just them being there, that one image showing them and that they look so much like cranes we still have today, right? They don't look like they're hyper advanced like the Franks or the plantations do. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I wrote this down, I thought it was like footage of destruction. But some of these images, they pop up as like hopeful kind of mm-hmm. setting the tone of the episode, but also showing that like, you know, something that's under reconstruction is not something that's fixed. Yeah, We're celebrating, but there's a lot of tension underneath the surface people are not okay mentally yeah so there's a common anime trope reconstruction blues uh mm. i felt like this was sort of signaling that but it's not a hundred percent um or maybe it's it means something more than just this stage of the story like their Wait. plantation was destroyed and now they got to figure out how to survive i feel like just getting back to what i thought was the theme of this episode Reconstruction blues is like finding your new purpose and identity after you've uh, liberated yourself from uh, what it's, what's been assigned to you. Sorry, Ben, I cut mm-hmm. you off. What were you saying? Uh, that, that's just what I was going to ask was what the, what that trope was, but you just explained it. Yeah. Um, mm. I think it was um, super dimension fortress Macross that gave it its name. Cause they have a, an actual yeah, episode title. Yeah. The, the mm. episode reconstruction blues, one of the more popular episodes of that series. But then, oh, you know, sure. uh, it became a trope eventually. It just shows up in a lot of yeah. shows now. Something that was interesting is that they um, they letterboxed the uh, the intro sequence there. You know, so there's just like this kind of like black at the top and the bottom of the, the screen. I don't I don't remember them having done that before. I don't know that if that's something they do when they do this kind of storytelling things. But this is the first time I've noticed it anyway. I don't know if it was 14 or 15. I feel like the beginning of one of those episodes, it, it, it actually does um, kind of letterbox and it goes in from the top and the bottom. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do remember that. That was, I think that was episode 14. Yeah, yeah. I just looked up 14 is, it does start off letterbox. Now I'm going to check 15. Maybe it's every episode. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't notice it until now. Uh, yeah, and in this new uh, title sequence, what do you call it? The motif is now blue instead of the red that we had before. Uh, kind of more hopeful, less blood-oriented, more like water-oriented. And they do a, a sequence where the pairs show up, and the only two that are like looking at each other are Kokoro and Mitsuru, and they're reaching towards each other, but they're also moving further apart, and they have these like looks of concern on their face. So hmm. that doesn't bode well. Oh dear, man! I didn't notice any of this. <laughs> Good eyes. How many times did you watch this? Uh, man. Oh, this opening sequence. I don't yeah. know. A dozen, twenty, maybe. Okay, so, so yeah, I feel like as the first time seeing the sequence, yeah, I didn't notice that. Probably. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, and we get our um, first image of this person, this blue person with the single horn that we have not seen in the past. And we get that at the end of the episode. So we get kind of bookends of this mysterious figure, which big fan of mysterious figures myself. Okay. Oh, and we missed, or I missed that. Um, Zero two is now filing down her horns, right? Yeah. And, and they've returned kind of to a much smaller size than we've seen for a while. Right. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to catch it. Was the mirror repaired? Yeah, I think so. I don't know if the glass was in like a new sheet, but the the glass was all in there. I couldn't tell if it was cracked or not. Okay. I mean, the mirror has been like an ongoing uh, symbol for the show, right? Uh, Yeah, it is fixed, but it is cracked. Okay. So the relationship will never be what it was, but it is stable now. All right. Lamarck Club, are we are we there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So they've lost 40% of their forces, not only Frank squads, but the plantations that they told to self-destruct or died to the giant Klaxo crawler. Yeah. And they, I didn't get much out of the scene. It seemed like they were just dropping, not Easter eggs, like breadcrumb stuff. They're like, Hey, this will pay off later if you're paying attention. But right now it's kind of all just gobbledygook. I feel like if you literally say the ends justify the means, the ends justify the means. Then you are clearly the the bad guys (laughs) in the story. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, I know that uh, a lot of people talk about like parallels to Evangelion and stuff. And I, I, I told Alex, like, while they are there, I don't see as many as like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do. And or I see a lot of other things that people mm-hmm. maybe don't really bring up too much. But I really do feel like that's some some like Zayla shit for sure. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, I did think it was interesting that they they seemed conflicted about having to blow up so many plantations for this initiative. I guess we're not supposed to know yet. I don't know what the secret project is that's nearing completion. Uh, I don't know what the heck they're talking about. The two keys. Uh, I should, because I've seen this show so many freaking times. <laughs> and, and I guess maybe that's something to do. We've kind of like resolved a bunch of mysteries and conflicts. And now they're kind of um, like you were saying, Alex, dropping breadcrumbs and, and kind of setting up some some new mysteries for this this final act. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's something Norse or something because of the spelling, but the secret project is called Rinhorny, and it looks like a giant, like maybe it's a ship, but I don't know. It has this prominent bow on it. Anyways, um, yeah, I don't know what the two keys is yet in this context, at least. Are there any keys in Norse mythology? <laughs> no, not at all. Okay. Pre-key civilization. <laughs> All right. <laughs> they secured all of their belongings with rocks. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Oh, that's cool. You rem- one of you remarked uh, that there's dissent in the remark Lamarck Club about the destruction of the plantations, at least. Right. So we go from a scene of soft dissent to a scene of uh, unity, of togetherness. Mm. We come back to Squad 13 and they're all. Uh, sitting around, or, or they're all pitching in, doing chores, and waiting for orders to come in. Yeah, but they're all like, you know, interacting with each other, all one mind right now. Yeah. Uh, so this was my first hint about a theme to this episode. It seemed like they were all united in purpose, and uh, maybe this is premature. But like Zero Two seems to like be really getting into this new role, and that was starting to suggest to me like the intersection of purpose and identity. Because uh, mm. it's you know this has not been like the group identity so far. There's been a lot of conflict uh, for the first 14 episodes. It, just, it feels like this is a whole new uh, act uh, that we've started here. And, and we got this narration that I think we decided was Futoshi. And I was curious that that made me wonder like is there literally an episode that everyone kind of narrates a, a different episode at some point in this series? Yeah, some some people get shortchanged. I feel like Futoshi and Ikuno, their their episodes are not as pronounced as, like, say, our Zorome episode. Yeah, and Miku the same way. You know, her storyline, the one that she narrated over, where she kind of freaks out and finds the photo of the previous Squad Thirteen. You know, it oh, yeah. wasn't the focus of the episode. Uh, so I think there were some plans, at least on one side of the table, um, to have a character study episode for every Frank's pilot, but you know, they had to shove in a lot of stuff. Uh, So we go from everyone taking part in their new roles to a scene down by the river. And this is interesting to me. Uh, It's it's Mitsuru and Hiro. They they look like ecologists or something, (laughs) taking these water samples and discussing like, uh, are we going to have water security uh, for who knows how long this situation we're in is going to be the new normal. Mm. It's kind of cool. Like they've sort of uh, turned a corner. Uh, they're they're at least being civil with each other. Any any takeaways from this? I don't have an emotional one that's really clever, but I'm like, how is it that these children who don't know what kissing is know about water filtration? Because <laughs> <laughs> they had extensive education, just not on like emotional uh, intelligence or anything like that. Yeah, I know. It's like it's one of those things <laughs> of like suspend disbelief and just trust that 
all of these children know uh, physics and ecology and like high level math and you know they they know it all. Yeah, yeah it's those it's those yellow blood cells, right? <laughs> so when we did Gundam, it was all about uh, God, what's that guy's name? The scientist particles. Minovsky particles. Yeah, everything was about Minovsky particles. Uh, so th- yeah. I'm going to say it's yellow blood cells for this. Okay. Right. But they're moving along in their relationship, right? Like, mm-hmm. or Mitsuru, like, hated Hero because Mitsuru was like setting himself in opposition to Hero because of the broken promise. And now, you know, Hero remembered and apologized. And Mitsuru was like, oh, it doesn't matter. I don't even remember. But you know, it's not that simple. Mm. Uh, and the fact that they're checking the water supply, which like, I assume we're going to get more and more water uh, motifs. Like it is, uh, you know, symbol of change, like that maybe they'll get closer. Maybe they'll like establish a new uh, uh, level of friendship, like more akin to like what he has with Goro, maybe. Mm-hmm. I feel like the wa- water is also kind of an interesting counterpoint to the uh the magma that is kind of like this other thing that you need to survive but it's like something that's like natural versus something that's like technological oh whoa yeah and that tracks with like the oil an uh allegory too because like oil and water don't mix but mm-hmm. you need both to live under the modern society and then it's like because magma is like synonymous with fire man that's awesome mm. Blue and orange are opposites on the color wheel. <gasps> Ooh. Yeah. Complimentary colors. Mm-hmm. I love it. So like zero two is uh, up and down in terms of to- emotional intelligence in this episode. It's like uh, right here, she seems pretty oblivious. I think a lot of people would probably see what was happening down by the river and give Hero and Zero, I mean, uh, Hero and Mitsuru some time to talk about filtration or whatever. But uh, man, she's just banging that fucking pot and pan. <laughs> like just ding, being a real ding, hard ding. ass about lunchtime or whatever. All right. So anyway, their their moment is interrupted. Uh, meal time. They're not having their fancy food with like ham and honey or whatever the hell it was. Uh, now, Well, hold on. Oh, there oh. are still honey rations. Oh, there are. Zero two still has plenty <laughs> oh, yeah, of honey packets to put on stuff. <laughs> So what is rationed here is really fascinating. Okay. I missed, I must have sneezed again. They've got rations, which include honey. Um, yeah. Zor- or else Zero Two does not eat. Zorome was excited about uh, mealtime. And then he sees it's this rations again. He's like, uh, maybe I'm not hungry. Ikuno, I guess it's her term to have the child fever. And I, mm-hmm. I guess she's on the recovering end of it. And uh, mm-hmm. I thought this was interesting, you know, uh, Zero two walks up and plays living thermometer and goes forehead to forehead. What? Axisor <laughs> uh, powers. Yeah. yeah, blue blue blood cells. Yeah, <laughs> blue blood cells. <laughs> powers activate. Um, Wibbly wobbly timey one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Fine. So, you know, like there's a big reaction from a lot of the other kids in the hall. But um, yeah, you can know it's just like, yeah, we're doing this. Iguno is probably like, just don't lick me this time, and we'll be, I'll be fine with it. <laughs> so yeah, they're they're gonna do their prayer. Uh, there's still Papa indoctrination happening. Uh, Zero Two is fitting in really well. Uh, maybe she's just like going a little too far. Like she just like really wants to do things right. I'm like, hmm. Uh, so you know, maybe it's maybe it's a process. You know, like finding your new identity. It's you know not just gonna be the snap of a finger. I feel like it's a misstep. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Futoshi is uh, watching what he eats. And so, okay. So this is, this is like as, as close to we get as a strong Futoshi storyline. Mm-hmm. And of course it's about eating because that's been the tropey thing about Futoshi this whole time. But I did like the placement and it's, and, and I thought it was pretty respectful of the audience's intelligence because Futoshi has been, you know, kind of we think emotionally growing he had this thing with kokoro and then his heart was broken and then him and kokoro had this moment in a hallway at one point and he was like oh sorry yeah don't worry about it you know he seemed to be taking things in stride mm-hmm. well maybe he's not taking things in stride like we think he is yeah. maybe he's holding a lot of things in and that anxiety is causing some instability in other parts of his life where he used to find some sort of comfort mm. All right, so anime can at times handle delicate social issues in a ham-fisted way. 
Darling and the Franks mm-hmm. has handled delicate social issues in a ham-fisted way. Um, Futoshi has an eating disorder. And I, I don't know if they're handling this well or not, but I do know that uh, in some cases, uh, an eating disorder can be complicated by having someone tying their identity to what they eat. Mm. You know, And like whenever we want to include Futoshi in the banter, it's always a jab about his weight, right? Yeah. So I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into this scene. I just felt like, who is this character? Is this character just about fat jokes and eating too much? Well, if they're not piloting right now. And if that's kind of like causing this identity crisis of like, well, in this lack of the thing that was the only reason that we're valuable, oh. what is, what's my actual worth? Am I worth anything? And then he also got his poor little heartbroken. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot going on. And Zorme is also being a huge fucking asshole <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Like, honestly, the fat shaming throughout the series from Zorme, I'm like, what? It sucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, in the first couple of episodes where that occurred, I was like, oh, hey, I've been really enjoying this series. But whoa, I why? No. Yeah. Yeah, it does feel like it's just kind of like a lazy characterization, lazy writing, you know, and then I guess this episode made me wonder, I guess, to what extent we're supposed to be like on Zorme's side and like laughing with these fat jokes, or if it's supposed to be that Zorme is just a dick and, <laughs> you know, like this episode, mm. I wouldn't say he quite gets his comeuppance, right? But you know, he's making fun of Futoshi for eating too much when like, actually it turns out that like <laughs> Futoshi has like an eating disorder and, you know, it's kind of like the opposite of what Zorame thinks mm-hmm. in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, or I guess I'm assuming he finds out this thing in between this ribbing and, and the scene we get later in the episode. Yeah, it's another thing with Futoshi that isn't set up, right? Like we did the forever promise and the breaking the forever promise in the same episode. Mm-hmm. Like, like there yeah. should have been some scene where he's like vomiting in a toilet and walking out and we're yeah, like, what's exactly. that about? And then we're like, oh. Yeah, it would have been a lot more effective for sure. Man, but that informs that scene later. Okay, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Okay, so Frank's has a gambit, right? <laughs> well, I guess this is Frank's gambit. Like the whole show, Squad 13 is Frank's gambit. But now, more specifically, Franks is letting is checking in on Nana and Hachi, and we learn that Nana and Hachi they have not been in contact. They're like, "Nope, you guys are on your own." Uh, we even find out that Goro has been writing them letters just to be like, "Hey, this is what's happening with us. You don't have to tell us what's going on with you." Like, you know, a solid Goro move. But like, we just want you to know that we're still alive here. If you guys are too, but they have not even accepted the letters. Yeah, the thing I didn't get, Frank's uh, reprimands uh, Nana for pressing the issue and tells her... Always so inflexible. You've been down this road too, you know. Was that to suggest, like, Frank's has had another experimental team that Nana was the caretaker for? Or was Nana a part of an experimental team? Oh, so I thought uh, he was referring to both of them. I guess the trouble with uh, second person pronouns usually... People don't say if it's a plural or singular, but he says you've been down this road before. So I thought it was the two of them. Yeah, but I think there's still that question. Is it in that mentor role or is it that Mm. Nana and Hachi or Nana or Hachi at some point experience that themselves that, you know, there's some period of um, isolation or something like that? Mm -hmm. Oh, and I guess you're right. They do take that statement very differently. Uh, Nana has like a moment like maybe she has a pain in the side of her head or it just shocks her but like it animates something there when she hears that statement whereas Hachi seems unmoved by it and I mean Hachi seems unmoved by everything so I guess that's (laughs) par for the course so getting back to um, our pilots Goro and Hiro I guess they're doing inventory or something in a storeroom and Goro is talking about you know he's to get anxious before piloting and now he's just anxious not doing anything uh he describes being fidgeting um i don't know if they say it explicitly but he's like struggling with purpose not knowing what he's supposed to be doing with himself Mm. that that anxiety thing specifically is definitely something i've noticed where you know i'd be like anxious or do certain things and i would say oh that's because i'm so busy and then 
I would be unemployed and not busy at all <laughs> and be like equally anxious. And then it's like, oh, I guess that is just my perpetual state of being. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I thought everyone was going to be like, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. But uh, okay, maybe, maybe just me. Me and Goro. Oh, no. Like, I I have pretty uh, regular anxiety, uh, but I medicate. Like, uh, uh, marijuana is, like, a huge thing for me to uh, get through my days. <laughs> Maintenance mar- marijuana, I feel like, is your game. <laughs> uh, for some people, getting a haircut is how they deal with anxiety. Oh, another transformative event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is maybe going with the identity theme. Mitsuru wants a new look, goes to Kokoro for a haircut. Uh, I don't have confirmation of this. I heard one commentary that uh, in Japanese culture, like touching someone's head or hair is perceived as being much more intimate than, than it would be in the West. I can mm. neither confirm nor deny. Uh, but nevertheless, haircuts can be pretty intimate, and this is what's happening. Uh, and then they get to talking. Uh, I, I really like this scene a lot. Mitsuru, maybe he's just like, stream of consciousness or something but uh, he's talking about his relationship with hero and uh saying that he was searching for a reason to forgive him and then having this feeling like without my anger or resentment towards hero it's like who am i it's like oh another thing that we're stripping away leaving us with these questions about identity mm. um kokoro is just like really great person to talk to she's so like uh encouraging and inspiring uh and then uh, mitsuru gives kokoro this compliment um does he say that she's like really kind or something yeah that's how it starts but um i I feel like part of kokoro's uh reaction was that she felt inspired by mitsuru and now that it's been reflected that seeing that mitsuru is inspired by her it just gives her the warm fuzzies and maybe it's the heat of the moment, uh, but she she kisses him and then immediately freaks out because like, you know, they, they don't do that. This culture or whatever it is, like people aren't kissing each other. And, and he doesn't really like reciprocate at all, right? Like she just kisses him and he just sits there. He is shocked. Yeah, but he doesn't like repulse though, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean, I guess all bets are off because none of them have ever kissed before. But if you kiss someone and they just like, left their mouth like <laughs> still on their face like <laughs> seems a little Wait, but have you ever had somebody like kiss you completely out of the blue when you weren't expecting it yeah so like i feel like that's that's the thing that can happen where you're just like uh maybe i was putting too much myself like i you know when that happened to me i was just in shock and i didn't react one way or another right but yeah um again, man like i do feel for these kids like Kissing someone for the first time, you know, it takes a little bit of emotional bravery. You know, you put yourself out there. You like there's a high possibility of rejection, which sucks, especially if like you're super into the person. But yeah, she she did it and she bolts. Yeah. It also seemed like this is the first time that Mitsuru has actually kind of like noticed her and and maybe it was like almost like he had to get over his own thing with with Hero to really kind of be present there with her and notice her yeah oh yeah and this is the first time he's like actively consciously asked someone for help right because he was very standoffish Mm -hmm. like i don't need anybody yes that was it that was the thing that got kokoro's attention she she comments on that she says it surprised me that you asked me for a haircut like you usually are so self-reliant you never ask anybody else for help and that's when mitsuru is like yeah, I mean, you've inspired me. And she's like, ah, no, I mean, it doesn't do that. But it's, you know, it's the anime reaction. <laughs> all, right, all right, we're all on the same page. Okay. Yeah, it's the exact same page. <laughs> okay, uh, household planning. The squad, they're talking about their water situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zorome says the thing is like, hey. We'll just write a letter to Papa and everything will be fine. And then the camera sort of scans the room and everybody's like, mm. <laughs> I think maybe we skipped over the uh, Hero and Zero Two and the bath scene. Oh, yeah. So Hero and Zero Two take a walk in the Ar- Arboretum uh, and they spy the Sakura buds, right? Mm-hmm. Which, when they're full grown, will be about the same shade as Zero Two's hair. 
Uh, and Zero Two then goes from the walk, which Hero almost reaches out and grabs Zero Two's hand. It's a really cute, subtle moment. Uh, but just at the, you know, another like save by the bell moment, uh, zero two or curse by the bell, uh, zero two is like, oh, I have to go take a bath with the other girls at the lake or in the river. And you're like, oh, okay. And then they have this, uh, so they had that like missed moment of intimacy where they are being intimate with each other. They're taking this time together. Uh, then we go from that to a scene of like physical nakedness, mm. uh, but there it's a different kind of intimacy, right? Like a juxtaposition. And I guess maybe it's kind of that thing Brian was mentioning earlier about, um, you know, zero two being like very much by the rules and kind of like wanting to, to do everything to a T to the point where maybe she's missing out on this kind of more normal moment with, with hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, gosh. There's a, there's a lot going on here. Zero Two's not in the moment, but they have to pause for Hero to explain to her the Sakura Blossoms, which they don't mm-hmm. really go all the way. I, uh, I mean, maybe for aud- Japanese audiences, it would be too redundant. But for those who don't know, like the Sakura Blossom in Japanese culture is symbolic of a brief moment of something special and beautiful. Uh, it's called Mononora Ware. Uh, they sort of get it. Like they pause under the, the buds and have a nice moment and hero is gonna reach out and hold hands and make it an extra special moment but zero two is not fully present and she immediately recalls uh she has to be elsewhere but you know as we see in this like river bathing scene like uh zero two does sort of become more present like she discovers miku's graying hair miku already knows and gets flustered and tries to cover it up and this is like a moment of zero two showing emotional intelligence uh, or social intelligence. Like she immediately saves face for Miku uh, and like turns it to some kind of like horseplay thing. Mm. Also just uh, Ikuno does not partake and we could chalk that up to she's recovering from the childhood fever. But I do feel like maybe there's a, a dynamic there that is being acknowledged, I guess. Yeah, female nakedness means something different to Ikuno than it means to the rest of them, right? Yeah. So that's a tough situation. And, and that was true with the beach scene as well, right? It was right. her and Mitsuru. Or... Mm-hmm. I mean, Mitsuru's less angsty as hell. She's just kind of held back in general. It's not yeah. a lot really like uh, emoting either. Yeah, and they used to be more of a match for each other, Ikuno and Mitsuru. But Mitsuru has this new burgeoning relationship with Kokoro, and Ikuno does not have anything to parallel that. Ooh, except getting those uh, head rubs from uh, Zero Two. (laughs) And she bakes bread later. (laughs) Oh, amazing. Just really quick with the gray hair. I mean, they're supposed to be like 14 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So we're just supposed to think she's really like stressed out some sort of disease i think we're supposed to put together that it's the franks piloting explicitly that's doing this because squad 26 when we first met them had uh gray ish but like black hair and then when we saw them in the last episode right before they died they had completely gray hair and if they'd been on the front lines fighting non-stop to get this grand crevasse meth thing happening they may have been really drained from it I guess I'm wondering, and maybe, you know, this is spoilers that you can't get into, but, you know, it makes me wonder a little bit whether it's like some sort of accelerated aging thing or something like that. And it's like Mm -hmm. what I assumed it was. Yeah. And I mean, like on a more non-spoilery, non-material sense, like, you know, fighting ages people emotionally, mentally, physically, like there's just tons and tons of stress on your body some people do go gray prematurely the other explanation it could be that uh miku is gonna go super saiyan (laughs) that's i think that's probably what they're gonna do and solve a lot of problems (laughs) they're gonna solve everything in the end (laughs) and zero two didn't want to spoil it and that's why she redirected everybody yeah (laughs) okay all right all right we're all on the same page that's good that's good but our whole team is not gray yet They are fighting off old age, but they're just becoming adults. Uh, And I think part of becoming an adult is finding more and more things that you can do that you don't have to ask somebody else to do. Right. And that doesn't mean like 
doing it all on your own, it means like if you're going to do it with someone else, maybe you're doing it with a peer, someone who also doesn't know how to do it so that you're figuring it out together. And that's what they've decided to do. They're going to take stock of all of their supplies and they're going to figure out this water supply issue. Zorme was really optimistic about like sending a letter to Papa. Everyone else is like, that's not going to fucking work. Mm -hmm. Like we're abandoned here. Do you understand? Uh, Except for necessary rations. That's all the, I guess, resources they're going to give us. And then Zero Two and Mitsuru agree. Then the only option we'd have would be to cook our own food. Actually, I think that's a pretty good idea as well. They can totally do this and they should start experimenting and brainstorming. Yeah, it was a funny moment. Like Hero is surprised that Mitsu agreed and he looks up at him and Mitsu's just like, don't fucking look at me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like he is changing, but it's not again, it's not a snap of the fingers. <laughs> okay, so there they get to it. Uh Futoshi starts a fire. What kid doesn't love playing with fire? Yeah. And we see Zorbe getting continually distracted and things, quote, going to his head, right? He's like making fun of Futoshi for contributing. And then when the fire like sparks, he's like, oh man, that was so cool. And he completely forgets that he was being mean to Futoshi and like gets next to Futoshi and just gets really emphatically excited next to him. Like he forgets where he is and what he was doing. Yeah, you know, like we we have seen Futoshi just like in the background, like being industrious. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was this episode in the opening montage, like he's tightening the lines for like drying their laundry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, I guess at this point, Goro's fishing poles come in handy. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is where they decide uh, if we're sick of rations, why don't we try to cook for ourselves, right? Yeah. And we go like super biblical. We're going to make bread and fish. And we're going <laughs> to distribute two of each to all the people. Did I did I say Goro or Gorome? What did I say? Gorome. Goro. All right, good. Gorome. <laughs> Gorome is my favorite. Gorome <laughs> and uh, Hero 2. What's <laughs> <laughs> a good, good fanfic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so Goro and Ichigo. <laughs> Um, they're just like assessing everyone, you know, having teamwork, but I would probably go Mm -hmm. even further than that and say being a family. It's one of those feel good moments. Yeah. Nothing to give you like purpose than like going back to basics and having to provide certain things like water and food. Yeah. So it's an interesting choice that, uh, for storytelling they do here. The conversation between Goro and Ichigo uh, is happening sort of like a narration over these flashbacks of uh, Ichigo just being a hard ass on Zero Two and then all their ups and downs. But we do get this new footage of like what happened at the end of uh, our last episode. Um, Hero and Zero Two have sort of have their breakthrough and we didn't see um, the rest of the team receiving Zero Two. And like we get to see this kind of like nice endearing moment between mm. Ichigo and Zero Two. Like Zero Two almost flinches, or maybe she does actually flinch, but uh, Ichigo puts a hand on her cheek and is comforting her. Yeah. And it's reminiscent of the moment that Goro and Ichigo have in the episode after Goro die or Ichigo dives into the Klaxosaur to reunite with Goro, right? Mm-hmm. Because like they're kneeling on the ground, they're in the blood suits outside of the Franks, and it's this, you know, mutually pleasurable touch, right? This, uh, uh, what do you call that? Consent-based touch. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's kind of both recapping kind of Ichigo, Zero Two, and, and Hero's relationship, but like you're saying, showing it from this slightly different angle, so... If you're binging it or something like that, you're still getting new information. Mm. Um, I did look up after that previous episode, they took a week off. So this is the one episode that had a break right before it. And so I think that's part of why we're, we're getting some of that kind of recap stuff this episode, maybe. Okay. Hmm. Oh, so. I'm glad they avoided a, a whole entire recap episode then because a lot mm. of I freaking hate that when an anime does that. Ugh. Well, part of this show is like taking one of those tropes and being like, but this isn't a normal that kind of episode, like yeah. the beach episode. And so this is a recap, a reconstruction episode. And yet they're like, but 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 it's different. Don't worry. You'll enjoy it. Well, it's a recap scene. Sure. All right. Um. Oh, yeah. yeah just uh, some other funny things that happen in this montage. 
So Ikuno is making the bread and she's slamming the dough down and Miku's just like, what the fuck? Uh, just how, <laughs> how violent Ikuno is about making bread. And like, I couldn't tell what the actual fuck was happening, but like Mitsuru, I assume he was doing some like water filtration test because he got this scientific equipment out, but it's during the making of the meal montage. I'm like, is he cooking? And all they have is like beakers and test tubes and shit. Is it just me? It looked like science lab shit. I don't know. I'd have to look at it again. It didn't pop out to me. It yeah. just looked like he was uh, uh, measuring dry ingredients, maybe for the bread, maybe for the, you know. Well, I'm a cook, but I'm not a baker. Those are very different. Okay. Well, bakers use beakers. Okay. So <laughs> that's your first lesson. I, I just looked back and the book he's holding literally says cookbook. So <gasps> okay. So yeah, I was like, wait. But why? Like when you looked back. What is it? Just regular uh, kitchen pots and pans, or is oh it gosh. like? All right, come, on do it again. come on now! Come on, we have about nineteen minutes. <laughs> I needed this to be important. <laughs> this is the most important fucking thing we've been talking about. Good, I'm glad. All right. Well, I know that you want to talk about this. The the, the prayer scene. Wait, wait. I'm almost there. I'm almost oh my there. god! <laughs> no, it's okay. We're almost there. Do we need to talk about fishing, the meal, and then and we get out of here. It's, yeah, it's weird. There's some like metal boxes, a bowl, and like there's things that they put the sauces on at Subway, like those bottles with the caps on the end. Mm. Sorry, I'm just I'm just listing like test tubes, right? <laughs> so, not, not quite test tubes. <laughs> it's bottles with nipples. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so we're all on the same page. But it's, it's yeah, weird. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, weird really. it's weird cooking stuff. If it is cooking stuff, okay. uh, future cooking okay. tech. It's because of those mm. yellow blood cells. Mm. <laughs> okay, they're going to eat. Yeah. And Zora May is like, we do not need to pray to Papa. Why should we have to pray to Papa? We did all of the work ourselves. <laughs> but I love this moment for Zora May because there's a crack in his surface, right? He's like, oh. Maybe I don't believe all the legends I think about Papa, but they just had this moment where they like became adults in a way. Mm -hmm. Like they're supplanting the adult, their superiors, their caretakers. You don't need them anymore. So, like, you don't need those miracles. You don't need those prayers. You're doing it for yourself, which I thought was a really powerful moment. Yeah. So, is this Dr. Franks's experiment, his gambit? Hmm. Getting them to be actualized human beings. Well, he removes uh, the influence of Papa, of the adults. <laughs> they become independent. They're able to take care of themselves. And then Zorome says, uh, we did all the work ourselves. He's like, why should we pray to Papa? Why should we give thanks to Papa when we're the ones that did this? And like, that's, you know, potentially a dangerous line of thought for him because it's not a very big step to go from that to we're the ones who go into combat and win our victories. What, mm. why submit to this authority? And, and I guess from the identity angle, he like, that's been part of his character is he's the one that's like obsessed with Papa and the adults and stuff. Right. So it's him losing some of his or having kind of a crisis about, about his own identity too. Yeah. And then he offshoots that onto Futoshi, right? He overcompensates. Yeah. Like Zoromei notices, like Zoromei is now like super pumped about what they've been able to do. And that's when I think he notices Futoshi's not partaking. It's like, yo, what the mm -hmm. fuck? Like, this is us. This is our thing. Like eating is your thing. How come you're not eating like the meal we made? And then I think that's when it sort of falls apart. Yeah. The cracks start to really show. Yeah. And then I think it turns physical. Uh, Futoshi's plate gets knocked on the floor and stepped on or something. It, the, the, the plate shatters. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Zorume did, maybe didn't, didn't mean to like start really speaking his mind. Uh, but all the stuff starts to come out. And then like it's the classic anime watery eyes that are like shaking. Mm -hmm. His uh, reprimand of Futoshi has this emotional element to it. Uh, Zoromei cares about Futoshi. Yeah, but he's overcompensating. Yeah, Zoromei is not a socially intelligent person. Like bullying, and maybe maybe you'd call it hyper masculinity or toxic masculinity is is how his camaraderie is expressed, which is immature. 
right? Mm. So he outs Futoshi. I know you're forcing yourself to eat and throwing it back up. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm not doing Don't lie to me. Uh, which mm -hmm. basically amounts to bulimia uh, in front of the whole group. Mm -hmm. uh, that should have been a private conversation. Oh, yeah. Uh, so super freaking embarrassing for Futoshi, which, you know, that makes disorders worse, like the, the emotional strain of something and the, the added shame that comes with that. Yeah. And then Futoshi overcompensates, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, hey, hey, everything's cool. I'll eat. I'll eat the shit off the floor. And you're like, oh, uh, this is like really unhealthy. Yeah. This is really not a good idea. But uh, I feel like the one spark of light in this scene is like maybe because things do go so far, like Zorome, uh, something happens. He's like, why is this happening to us? Mm. Things were so great. And then because of Zorome, like it comes crashing down. But that's like, there was something else actually behind that. Um, his real anguish was about his misplaced affections for Papa. Right. And then he asks the question, like, are we cast aside? Do they even care about us anymore? And that leads us to our like heartfelt moment where they all sort of gather under the stars and start sharing their thoughts and feelings. Mm, we'll have a good cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's already been mentioned. This is when Goro shares his information about having written the letters. And mm -hmm. uh, I guess when he goes back, the letters are just still sitting there. Uh, they've never been accepted. And it could turn into a real bummer fest here. But then Hero uh, is the voice of optimism. And this is kind of what Hero is all about. Hero is the, uh, the hero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... You know, well, while he's talking about how far they've come, what he's doing is he's just basically articulating community that they um, have had these shared experiences and they've built something and they've struggled and they've laughed and cried together. And then he says this thing, and this is sort of like addressing the whole purpose and identity thing. He says, like, whether it's cooking as a group, taking baths, or talking things out. What he's describing is just kind of like the mundane things of life that we all do. But he says he found so much joy and value in these activities. He's having these experiences with these people he cares about and finds meaning in it. This is purpose. And then it's sort of echoed in what uh, Zero Two says to Hero in the next scene, but I guess we can oh. get there when it's time. Well, we're almost there. So Everybody has this really heartfelt moment under the stars. It is a transformative time and we get a full moon in the sky and the full moon, you know, often symbolizing a peak, but also a turning point. And so we turn from this open moment of collective discussion to a more private setting where we see that the adults not being around, there being no caretakers. The rules are also looser. So Hero and Zero Two, they get to hang out in Zero Two's room all by themselves. So yeah, I've got a few thoughts on this. My impression, because they make a point of showing everyone's different bedrooms leading up to this scene. Mm. Like lights are out in Goro's room. Hero's bed is made and the dresser next to him is empty. And I was like, uh, my impression is Hero is no longer Goro's roommate. Like he oh. and Hero are cohabitating now. And this is the thing that That's big. Uh, to me is really striking about this show. Like first impression, just like first four episodes of this show would be like, this is a show about fan service. This is about big titties and ass cheeks and tantalization. And a lot of anime go there. Uh, there's a whole genre about this stuff. But it, we, we do talk about sex, but it's sex and intimacy. And here's a perfect opportunity to show these young, fit people bunking in together, but that's not what they show us. They show us these intimate conversations that sex is something you can do and it can be intimate, but it's not inherently intimate. Like what we see is actual real intimacy, right? So mm -hmm. one of the things that Hero's leading with is like life has more value than piloting Franks. And then they start mm -hmm. getting into all their nitty gritty. Uh, and then this is when Zero Two starts to articulate her thoughts. And this is, again, like what Hero's been really waiting for. Now it finally happens. Uh, she's saying that this is what I've been searching for. This is the kind of family that I've always wanted. But she didn't know that that's what she wanted. She didn't really exactly know what she was searching for. 
But now that she's got it, she realizes it. I, I should have written it down to get the exact quote, but it's something about like, uh, you know, she's wanted to be human and thought killing Klaxosaurus was how to be human. But uh, she's kind of having this realization like humanity isn't about that, about not having horns or fangs or whatever. It's about this belonging. It's not said explicitly. So that's just what I've inferred from the scene. Yeah, I think that that makes that makes sense. And then the dinosaur roars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like classic, uh, I don't know, not Scooby-Doo. I can't think of a better show that does this. You go from the nice scene to like the camera pants deep beneath the earth. And we have you know, our mysterious blue figure with like a big ass freaking kaiju thing behind, behind them. Yeah. So it doesn't say this, but we can call this the Klaxosaur princess. Uh, or the Klaxosaur Queen, maybe. I loved the juxtaposition, but I didn't think about it until now that we talk about what humanity is. And then there's this reminder to Zero Two, like, okay, you figured out what humanity is, but don't forget, you still have this link. You're still a Klaxosaur. Like, you still have to come to terms with what that means, too. I want to go look at that, just like that end right there again, because when it switched to the blue, I was like, Wait, is that zero two? <laughs> yeah, it looks a lot like zero two. And then, and then I had to register. Like, no, that's something else. What is this? I'm, I'm hoping we get a, a love triangle between hero zero two and this new blue Klaxosaur princess. <laughs> that's where I hope it goes in the, the final episode. I fucking love it. Never know. There could be a scene where a blue princess is banging a pot and pan. <laughs> Mm. Oh, and there is this one little shot of uh, bird flying uh, and we get Zero Two and Hero together. They're the Gian, right? And then we get this bird flying off into the distance. And then the very next shot is that underground place. So maybe foretelling us, you know, it's pretty obvious if we think about anime storylines, but we're probably heading into there. And we get a new ending sequence, which I do like. Uh, It's very similar to our first ending sequence, which was like all of the, God damn it, pistols, uh, pistol pilots uh, in more of a modern day schoolgirl attire doing normal things. Uh, And that's it. I love this episode. I thought it was really cute. Yeah. Uh, I think it just informs a lot of the, you know, we keep going back and forth between action and slice of life and they inform each other you know the slice of life episodes give the action stakes and then the action gives us like time to ruminate on these like grand emotions we're thinking about mm. yeah and uh damien so this is your first time experiencing this show so what, what do, you, do you have any impressions so far this episode it is a whole or what so far like I'm liking it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Awesome. But uh, my understanding in the fandom is that this is it. From here on out, it drops off a little bit to a lot of people's thinking that the plot kind of <laughs> <laughs> it gets a little awry. Let's put it that way. And so I'm like, okay, well, glad I got to be here for one of the last supposedly good ones. And that's honestly a lot of why I didn't watch this show sooner is because one of my favorite like anime youtubers was like this shit sucked how could the second season be like this oh god i can't remember well anyway this is me saying that i was like all right you know what? i'm gonna give it a try that's awesome um, thank you yeah, yeah it's it's mostly your fault and thank you because <laughs> i do like so far um also i wanted to know if anybody else paid attention to the the name of the episode days of our lives which, like, is a soap opera. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> like, my mom used to watch that fanatically when I was younger. Like, <laughs> And all I can think, thought of when I saw it was, like, like this, like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Oh, my God. It's another uh, cherry blossom motif. Uh, Mona no aware. Sands through the hourglass. I did feel like that was that was kind of interesting and i'm like are they actually referencing that is that a thing i mean it's like one of the longest running tv shows in the world so so it's possible but also it's very like slice of lifey i wonder if we'll get a baywatch episode we did yeah yeah you're right that was the filler episode oh gosh (laughs) yeah the uh the post 
episode 15 criticism has come up before but you know like like an anime youtuber like specifically like one of the big three ought to know about like anime trends like um the twist that inevitably like a big tonal shift uh there are some weird things that happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going to get to it. Yeah, so, so you can have a twist that works and you can have a twist that doesn't work, right? So, yes. Yeah, and then you can have darling in the place. <laughs> <laughs> Damien, if you... Or wait, is there anything you want to... Anything you do, anything online, any organizations you're a part of, it's okay. You don't have to have anything. Uh, give to your local mutual aid groups. Don't give to big corporations or, uh, you know, stuff where they're just paying administrative staff and CEOs. Nice. Where can we find mutual aid? Your local internet. <laughs> <laughs> They're very local organizations usually. So most cities have specific organizations. Um, I know that in DC, every ward has at least one mutual yeah. aid organization. Um, so if you search uh, anything local to you, you can probably find something, usually city name and mutual aid. Uh, and Damien, if people enjoyed Darling in the Franks, is there anything that you could recommend? More anime, a book, what? Crap. Well, actually, one of the things that I have been thinking about is that, you know, people reference Evangelion and like mm-hmm. Gurren Lagan and stuff like that with this show. But like the one thing that I see so much in Zero Two is Utena Tenjo. Mm. The pink hair, the, the the military style uniform, the like red, white, black, like at... So uh, I'm always going to recommend people to watch Revolutionary Girl Utena. Awesome. Very cool. All right, so pen, pen, pals, darling. darling.